MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, October 13th, 2020. Today, the Senate Judiciary hearings for the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett began today. How Team Trump used Fox News to launder unverified Russian information about top Democrats. Dr. Fauci speaks out against Trump using his words out of context in a political ad that now Dr. Fauci wants taken down. And Republicans in California are caught deploying fake ballot drop boxes. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, We have a great show today. We have comic and writer-director of the short film How America Killed My Mother, Ed Larson. And I will also be speaking with Democratic candidate for New York's 27th District, Nate McMurray. We have an update on his candidacy. He's been on the show before, but there's some new information coming out about his opponent. Uh, And we'll wrap it up with the good news at the end of the show, as always. If you want to send in your good news, hit us up at dailybeanspod.com and click contact. You can also submit any corrections uh, for mistakes that I make or confessions that you might have. And if you want to submit your questions for Mary Trump, Dana and I will be recording the final episode of the Mary Trump Book Club for Patrons with Mary Trump. Uh, And we've sent an email out with the link to submit your questions, the link to that form. So you can ask Mary questions. Uh, And that link can also be found in the pinned announcement in the closed Facebook group and in the book club episode six show description. Uh, We'll be recording that episode this Thursday. So submit your questions by this Thursday. I'm really looking forward to that. We do have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Today, the Senate Judiciary Committee kicked off four days of contentious confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett drawing battle lines that could reverberate throughout the election. Senator Lindsey Graham, who is up for re-election in South Carolina and spends his evening, his evenings crying on television about how he's being outraised by his Democratic opponent, Jamie Harrison, left little doubt. Lindsey left little doubt where the proceedings were heading because he gaveled open saying the hearing to confirm Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court rather than saying it was a hearing to consider her nomination. Nice. What a dick. Quote, this is probably not about persuading each other unless something really dramatic happens. All the Republicans will vote yes, all the Democrats will vote no. That's pretty much how Lindsay opened it up. Democrats arrived ready to go on the offensive, portraying Judge Barrett's nomination as a shitty power grab and rank hypocrisy after the year-long blockade of Merrick Garland. They characterized Barrett as a conservative ideologue who would overturn the Affordable Care Act and, of course, invalidate abortion rights and side with the president in many legal disputes arising from the November 3rd election. The focus was definitely on the certainty that she will kill the Affordable Care Act. That's sort of where they put their focus today. And and Donald Trump said as much when when he said he insisted he would only nominate judges that would repeal the Affordable Care Act. The Republicans have failed for nearly a decade to destroy it and kick tens of millions off insurance to line the pockets of their private health insurance donors and lobbyists. And since they keep failing over and over again, they have decided to make an end run around the legislature and the will of the American people and abuse the Supreme Court and try to recruit them to do their dirty work by nominating this person. Feinstein said, we are now just 22 days from an election. Mr. Chairman, voting is underway in 40 states. 
Senate Republicans are pressing forward full speed ahead to consolidate the court that will carry their policies forward with, I hope, some review for the will of the American people, unquote. Republicans tried to deflect those charges and redirect attention toward Barrett's sterling resume, quote unquote, and compelling personal story, despite her having been a judge for fewer than three years. But their goal, above all else, was speed, pushing through the confirmation before Election Day, uh, as we know. And it appeared they have the votes to install her and cement a 6-3 conservative majority on the court before the end of October. Senator Mike Lee, Republican of Utah, COVID Petri dish, who announced he tested positive for COVID on October 3rd, was in the enclosed space with others for hours, maskless, talking like a douchebag. That's 10 days ago he, was, he, he tested positive. Mr. Graham, who hasn't tested at all because he's afraid of popping positive, looked didn't look good today anyway he he graham defended the process saying there's nothing unconstitutional about confirming a new justice so close to the election monday's hearing was expected to take most of the day because each member of the committee got 10 minutes to deliver an opening statement and then barrett would speak um and her statement was eh, she basically talked about how much she loves Antonin Scalia and then thanked the president for nominating her, though she didn't mention him by name, and then finished with the fact that she believes in the power of prayer. Okay. I don't understand this absolute refusal to separate church and government, but whatever. The entire day, not one Democratic senator brought up her faith, but every single Republican senator accused them of attacking her for it, which is weird. It was weird listening to a bunch of Republicans accuse Democrats of religious bigotry against Catholics when we're all about to help a very Catholic Joe Biden wipe up the floor with their golden calf's ass, Trump's ass. And Republicans only care about religious bigotry when defending white Christians. Senator Kennedy went as far as to cry about how hurtful it is to be called a white colonialist little twist of the knife on Indigenous Peoples Day. And this nomination will go forward. The only way to stop it is to flood senators with calls expressing your dissent in hopes their donors will listen to you. They won't. So make noise. Keep making noise. They know this is not the will of the people. That's clear. They will ignore you, but they will not ignore money. So don't stop being loud about it. And... I'm noticing a lot of the mainstream media is finally waking up to the fact that Russia attacks are real. So this is from Marshall Cohen, Oliver Darcy, and Zachary Cohen at CNN. They said, quote, while most of the nation was largely fixated over the past week of Trump's coronavirus diagnosis, the president and his allies and the right-wing media have been engrossed with something else entirely. And we, I have to tell you, uh, here at The Daily Beans, have covered this extensively. Uh, as it happened in real time. But we hadn't reported what was going on at Fox News while this Russian disinformation was being laundered into our ears. And and these three reporters over at CNN have done a good job with that. They say Trump will help with the help of outlets like Fox News has been pushing a dishonest narrative touting intelligence documents that his administration declassified last month on the eve of the first presidential debate. They claim the information was supposed to be a smoking gun proving Clinton and the Obama administration sought to frame Trump with the Russian collusion scandal. But when examined closely, actually, when just read... The, the documents uh, indicate no such thing. 
I don't know about examining them closely. You just read it. Eyes and ears, like Comey says. Eyes and ears. In fact, by the Trump administration's own admission, they are based on unverified Russian intelligence that could be bogus. Which is to say, the president and Fox News personalities like Hannity and Carlson are hyping and disseminating information that originates from a foreign adversary to bludgeon a top Democratic opponent. Hmm. wonder if any of them have registered as foreign agents. Trump and his allies have even gone so far as to demand or suggest that Obama and Biden should be charged with crimes, resting much of their case on unverified Russian chatter and other cherry-picked material that the CIA, NSA, and Office of DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, warned against releasing. Quote, this deep state conspiracy has been thoroughly discredited, which makes the situation more alarming. And also what makes the situation alarming is that John Ratcliffe, Trump's DNI, sits atop the intelligence agencies. The spy chief. Him, he, who declassified the documents, appears to be selectively doing so to help Trump accuse Biden of committing a crime. All with the help of Fox News. It has some current and former intelligence officials aghast. Quote, we're acting like a banana republic with various cabinet officials so beholden to a dictator they violate all norms and rules simply to curry favor. That is from a statement from Mark Polymeropoulos. That is a former CIA officer who oversaw operations in Europe and Russia before retiring last summer. Polymeropoulos told CNN that Ratcliffe, along with Sex State Mike, Mike Pompeo and AG Bill Barr, have forgotten their oath to protect America. They only serve the president and history will judge them for that. Well, I personally would like voters to judge them for that. And I think that's what's happening. This dubious narrative being propagated by Trump and his allies was born of materials released on September 29th by Ratcliffe. We know who he is, Trump loyalist who lied on his fucking resume about his intelligence experience to be the spy chief. He shouldn't even be on the intelligence committee. He was confirmed for the job in May on a party-line Senate vote with all Democrats opposed. Before then, there were never more than a dozen senators who voted against any nominee for the DNI ever since its inception after 9-11. Ratcliffe publicly disclosed the unverified Russian intelligence about Clinton despite concerns raised by the CIA, NSA, and ODNI. One of the documents included details of an unverified Russian intelligence assessment from July 2016 that Clinton approved a campaign plan to stir up a scandal about Trump's ties to Russia. In releasing the documents last month, Ratcliffe said that the U.S. government had learned about the Russian assessment, but, quote, does not know if it's accurate and warned that it, quote, may reflect an exaggeration or fabrication. In other words, the U.S. government picked up on Russians discussing Clinton's political strategy to highlight Trump's connection to Russia. Whoopty shit, right? Clinton's political strategy played out in public, in view, during the 2016 campaign. She called him Putin's puppet in the debate, in, in tweets and in TV interviews. And it was true that Trump had extensive contact with Russians, which they worked hard to keep a secret and cover up during the 2016 campaign, which Trump later would obstruct when investigated about. The document didn't include any underlying intelligence or context, of course, about the efforts to corroborate the information. Democrats and national security experts immediately questioned Ratcliffe's decision to release such shitty material. Hours later, at the first presidential debate, it all came out of Trump's mouth, falsely accused Clinton and Biden of being part of a coup. We're in uncharted territory, 
said Brett Bruin. That's an Obama administration official who focused on combating disinformation. The intelligence community, he says, has always stayed out of American politics and has been quite limited in what it would release publicly. Now they're releasing information they shouldn't be releasing. And on top of that, it's about domestic politics. It's really alarming. Ratcliffe denied the materials he declassified contained Russian disinformation and has gone on to release additional documents. This week, he released handwritten notes by former CIA director John Brennan about a briefing with Obama where the Russian assessment was discussed. And he released a memo from the CIA to the FBI, which said that some Russians believe Clinton was using Trump's ties to Russia as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server. This news release came to light in an exclusive Fox News report on Tuesday, which quoted two sources familiar with the documents who defended Ratcliffe and critiqued Brennan. After the news broke, prompting immediate criticism from the Democrats, Ratcliffe issued a statement denying that he was peddling disinformation. He lied about lying. The Russian assessment said Clinton was stirring up a scandal by claiming interference by the Russian Security Service, according to Brennan's notes. Trump and his allies pounced on that. They claimed that that this proved what Trump had said all along. Obama, Clinton, Brennan, the FBI conspired to sabotage his campaign and invent a hoax about Russian meddling. Major problem. Couple of major problems. Russian meddling was not a hoax. And that false narrative comes from Russia, which has repeatedly lied about its pro-Trump interference in the 2016 election. The top U.S. intelligence agencies have said unequivocally that Russia interfered in the 2016 election. That it shouldn't even be a question anymore. Quote, it is appalling, his selective declassification of information. It is designed to advance the political interest of Trump and Republicans. That's what Brennan told Jake Tapper on Tuesday. Brennan also said Trump and Ratcliffe were distorting the true meaning behind his notes. <laughs> yeah, no shit. And that they were exaggerating the credibility of dubious information. He also said there's nothing at all, first of all, illegal about Clinton trying to tie Trump to the Russian meddling campaign. And he urged, Brennan urged Ratcliffe to declassify the information about Trump's connections to Russians. Or in that handwritten note from Brennan where there's one little sentence that you can read that says that and the rest of the entire document is blacked out under redaction bars. Release that. I mean, Brennan goes on to say, quote, if in fact what the Russians were alleging that Hillary Clinton was trying to highlight the reported connections between Trump and the Russians, if that was accurate, and that's a big if, there's still nothing at all illegal about that. John Ratcliffe and others are trying to portray this as unlawful activity that deserves a follow-up investigation by the FBI. No, that's campaign activity, unquote. Caveats about the documents were largely ignored by Fox News and other right-wing media outlets, which portrayed them as evidence that Obama, Biden, and Clinton had nefariously framed Trump with a phony scandal. While most news organizations were focused squarely on Trump's coronavirus diagnosis, Fox News saturated its coverage with the discredited narrative. Quote, Big breaking news and developments tonight in the biggest abuse and power corruption scandal in American history. That's Hannity saying the document showed an alleged plan by Clinton to drum up the entire Trump-Russia hoax. Hannity's guest, Greg Jarrett, then accused Clinton of having invented the Russia hoax with Obama's knowledge and committing crimes. Quote, Obama sat there silently as our government was thrown into turmoil for the last four years over what he knew, based on intelligence presented to him by John Brennan, was phony information conjured up by Hillary Clinton to distract from her own emails. (laughs) quote, it demonstrates just how immoral, unscrupulous, devious, and corrupt Hillary Clinton was. 
When CNN reached out to Fox News about those statements, they refused to comment. Other programs on Fox echoed the same shit. Carlson, Tucker, for instance, said the document showed Clinton's strategy to smear Donald Trump as a Russian agent. Carlson also said the memos appeared to indicate U.S. intelligence agencies knew of the plot, accused them of possibly undermining democracy, and said they should be punished. The news division at Fox, which for years has reported strong pro-Trump bends, also got in on the action. The documents were first reported last week by Fox News' digital arm, which leaned into the misleading narrative pushed by Trump. And Bill Hemmer, one of the channel's top anchors, said the documents show that the previous administration had its dirty hands on this. More than a week after the documents were revealed on Thursday, Fox Business host Maria, uh, what is it, Bartiromo, asked Trump about the documents, saying that they showed it was Hillary's idea to tie you to Russia in some way. <laughs> Trump told her, people should be indicted for crimes, the great political crime in the history of our country. And he specifically named Obama, Biden, and Clinton. And Trump has repeatedly echoed similar sentences on Twitter in dozens of tweets this week. And elsewhere in the right wing, the narrative took off like Breitbart, Gateway Pundit, Federalist. On Facebook, posts from right wing media organizations um, and personalities about the declassified documents were widely shared. And on the evening after the documents had been released, the top two posts with the most interaction on Facebook over a 24-hour period belonged to stories about the supposed scandal posted by Fox News. That's according to CrowdTangle, a data analytics firm owned by Facebook. Other posts by Breitbart and Ben Shapiro also saw heavy interaction, racking up tens of thousands of interactions on Facebook. The declassified releases from Ratcliffe and Barr come amid growing frustration among Republicans who have been frequently touted by Trump and his campaign, serving as fodder for conservatives who are frustrated that more hasn't come from U.S. US Attorney John Durham's investigation into the oranges of Russia. According to sources and Barr's own recent public documents, Durham's work will not conclude before the election. So instead, Trump and right-wing news outlets have relied on these document dumps from Ratcliffe and Barr to fill the void. Yeah, but Ratcliffe, Ratcliffe's document dumps are a telltale sign that there likely won't be any eye-popping indictments stemming from the Durham investigation, right? Ratcliffe won't be turning over these sensitive documents to Congress, of course, and to the public if they were needed for upcoming criminal prosecution. And instead, Ratcliffe and congressional Republicans are releasing the documents now, helping to stoke outrage in conservative media. Nick Shapiro, former CIA deputy chief of staff under Brennan, says what they are doing is the most severe politicization of intelligence in history. And something the CNN story didn't mention here that I, you know, you've seen me scream about is when the, the vice president, Pence, brought it up in the debate with Kamala Harris. I screamed about that on Twitter. But even conservative news outlets like the Wall Street Journal are taking the hint after so many of us have been yelling about Russian interference for years now. Here's the headline from them. White supremacists, Russia, pose top threats, Homeland Security says. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Wall Street Journal. They continue. White supremacists and Russian election interference are among the top threats facing the United States, the Department of Homeland Security warned in a new report released Tuesday. Racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists, specifically white supremacist extremists, will remain the most persistent and lethal threat in the homeland, according to the report from DHS. This assessment is part of the department's new plan announced September 2019 under the department's previous acting head, Kevin McAleenan, to counter, quote, terrorism and targeted violence. Among so-called domestic violent extremists, white supremacists carried out half of all deadly attacks 
8 out of 16 in 2018 and 2019, according to the report. Those attacks resulted in the majority of deaths, 39 of the 48. Homeland Security says it was still evaluating data for this year. And in other news from Caitlin Collins, excuse me, Dr. Anthony Fauci did not consent to being featured in a new ad from the Trump campaign touting Trump's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Instead, the nation's leading infectious disease expert told CNN his words were taken out of context. Quote, in my nearly five decades of public service, I have never publicly endorsed any political candidate. The comments attributed to me without my permission in the GOP campaign ad were taken out of context from a broad statement I made months ago about the efforts of federal public health officials. This is according to Fauci. He said this in a statement provided exclusively to CNN. Uh, And the Trump campaign released the new ad last week after the president was discharged from Walter Reed. Um, The 30-second ad, which is airing in Michigan, touts Trump's personal experience with the virus and uses a quote from Fauci in an attempt to make it appear as if he's praising Trump's response. Quote, President Trump is recovering from the coronavirus, and so is America. The ad's narrator says, together we rose to meet the challenge, protecting our seniors, getting them life-saving drugs in record time, sparing no offense. The ad then flashes to an interview with Fauci in which he says, I can't imagine that anybody could be doing more. Though no date is provided in the ad, Fauci's quote is from an interview with Fox News back in March. And during that interview, he was praising the White House Coronavirus Task Force's round-the-clock effort to respond to the pandemic, which he said included numerous White House meetings and late-night phone calls. We've never had a threat like this. This is from the original here. Uh, We've never had a threat like this. The coordinated response has been, there have been a number of adjectives to describe it. Impressive, I think, is one of them. We're talking about an all-hands-on-deck. I, as one of many people on the team, I'm not the only person, Fauci said. Since the beginning um, that we even recognized what this was, I've been devoting almost a full time to this. I am down at the White House virtually every day with the task force. It's every single day. So I can't imagine that any under circumstances under any circumstances that anybody could be doing more. He's talking about himself, not Trump. In response to Fauci saying the ad took the words out of his words out of context, Trump campaign communications director Tim Murtaugh said, these are Dr. Fauci's own words. The video is from a nationally broadcast television interview with Dr. Fauci praising the work of the Trump administration. Not really. And the use of Fauci has appeared to uh, be a recognition by the Trump campaign that the doctor is a voice voters trust over Trump. In late July, Trump publicly wondered why the doctor's approval rating was so high when his was so low. He said, quote, it's interesting. It's he's got very good approval ratings. And I like that. It's good. Because remember, he's working for this administration. He's working with us. We could have gotten other people. We could have gotten somebody else. It didn't have to be Dr. Fauci. He's working with our administration. And for the most part, We've done what he and others, and Dr. Deborah Burks and others, have recommended. No, you haven't. Trump continues saying, he got this high approval rating, so why don't I have a high approval rating? With respect, in the administration, with respect to the virus, we should have it very high. Hmm. Interesting. And the California Republican Party, uh, all six of them, I guess, have broken the law. For this is from the Washington Post. The metal boxes have popped up around Southern California in recent weeks from churches to gun stores to gyms. On the front, an authoritative-looking sign beckons to voters, official ballot drop-off box. The California GOP has pushed voters to pop their mail-in ballots inside. Social media posts have advertised their locations, and one regional field director posted a photo of Twitter on Friday showing him holding a ballot in front of one of the boxes. Quote, doing my part in voting early, Jordan Teague wrote in a now-deleted tweet. Probably because he realized he's a fucking felon. That tweet was reviewed by the Washington Post before it was removed. 
DM me for convenient locations to drop your ballot off at. He ended it with a preposition. <laughs> but those containers, which were first reported by the OC Register at KCAL, KCAL, are not county-authorized ballot drop-off sites. In fact, the unofficial boxes are against the law. California Secretary of State Alex Padilla says, operating on unofficial ballot drop boxes, especially those misrepresented as official drop boxes, is not just misleading. It's a violation of state law. My office is coordinating with local officials to address the multiple reports of unauthorized ballot drop boxes. Californians should only use official ballot drop boxes that have been deployed and secured by their county election offices. Erecting or advertising unofficial ballot boxes is a felony that carries a two to four year prison sentence. Official ballot return locations are listed on the Secretary of State's website. So check that out if you want to make sure you're dropping it in an official box. But Republican leaders are still encouraging voters to bring their completed ballots to unlisted sites equipped with the unofficial green boxes at locations like smog checks and gas stations. The GOP said it was using the 2016 law passed by Democrats that the party argues legalizes a practice called ballot harvesting. In some states, ballot harvesting rules allow campaign volunteers to collect ballots door to door and return them to be counted on behalf of voters. This practice has been controversial, though legal in many states, including California, because, you know, people claim it could lead to ballots being lost or tampered with. Proponents of the practice argue that ballot harvesting can increase voter turnout and can be a useful solution for people with disabilities or obligations or other obstacles that might keep them from going to the polls themselves. The California law allows people to hand their ballots to any designated person who then delivers the ballot. Under that law, California Democrats have held ballot parties where attendees fill out their mail-in ballots and leave them with volunteers who return the ballots en masse. But Republicans in the state often decry ballot harvesting. They hate it. And the California GOP actually sued Gavin Newsom this year over the practice. But now they're using it to justify their unofficial ballot drop boxes, arguing its boxes are akin to volunteers who collect ballots from voters. Hmm. But Padilla's office said on Sunday that boxes are not legal under the 2016 law because that statute requires a voter to designate a person to return the ballot. And there is no person present at the drop boxes. Official drop-off boxes, meanwhile, must satisfy a long list of requirements to secure the boxes and ensure ballots can be, cannot be tampered with. The GOP's containers do not meet these requirements. I patiently await Republican lawyers arguing in court that boxes, like corporations, are people. And uh, Trump's on his way to Florida right now to give a bunch of people COVID there, I guess. Dr. Conley released a cryptic note today saying Trump has tested negative on consecutive days, but didn't say which consecutive days. And was really weird about the language, too. I'd call for him to answer questions to, to the press, but he sucks at that, too. I think we'll just have to resign ourselves to not knowing what's actually going on with the president's health. But uh, we'll be right back with Democratic candidate for New York's 27th District, Nate McMurray, on the other side of this break. And later in the show, I'll be speaking to Ed Larson, amazing comic writer, wonderful guy. Uh, he's the writer and director of the new short documentary, How America Killed My Mother. So stay with us for that. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Everybody needs help from time to time. Life can get stressful, especially now. And if you're struggling with anything that's preventing you from living your best life, I recommend BetterHelp. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. 
Uh, it's professional licensed therapy done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. I have faced my own challenges with PTSD, as you know. It's important, I believe, to seek help help rather than to try to face things alone. And BetterHelp services are available for clients worldwide with a broad range of experts in their counselor network, a lot of which might not be locally available in your area. But you can access them through BetterHelp. The best thing is you can log into your account anytime, send a message to your counselor, and you get timely and thoughtful responses. And you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So if you want to change your counselor, they make it easy and free to do that. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid's available. So visit their website and read their testimonials like this one by user MA, who says, Working with Emily has been a blessing. She balances listening with providing feedback and suggestions. I always feel heard and respected during my sessions. Having someone to challenge my thinking and offer me insights has helped me tremendously. I appreciate all the time she takes answering my messages and preparing for the session. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody. Welcome back. It is time to flip it blue. I'm blue. And joining me today for the Flip It Blue segment, we have already had him on to discuss uh, his candidacy in New York's 27th district race against uh, opponent Christopher Jacobs. However, there are now new details coming out in a story uh, that we really need you to hear. So please welcome back Nathan McMurray. Nathan, thanks for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. This is uh, so interesting what's what's been going on. And I, I would like for you to, to tell everyone, you know, tell everyone this story. Well, I was recruited to work for this company in Western New York, and I came to work for them a few years back. And uh, they never really had a problem with my political messaging. And in fact, they kind of encouraged it. But I there's an opportunity where I was going to run against a member of their family. And they did their best to make sure I didn't do that. And I guess that's it in a nutshell. And uh, they kind of try to force me out of the race. Mm-hmm. And, and and why was that? I mean, because I know that uh, there was uh, Jacobs had left his state, uh, his seat in the state Senate. They wanted you to run for state Senate. And do you think there was a reason behind that? Well, I don't want to bore you. But so if I start to over talk, just tell me. But I, essentially, <laughs> it, it was like this. I, I was... <sighs> I had run against Chris Collins and Chris Collins is the guy who's supposed to go to jail next week. Cross your fingers because he committed a serious crime and he should be punished for it. So Chris Collins was the first to support Trump. And when I told them I was going to run against Chris Collins, them meaning the ownership of the company, which is is a very large company in Western New York, one of the biggest employers of Western New York, owned by a family, one of the richest families in, in the world, the Jacobs family. There was no one even cared. They thought, go ahead, you're going to lose the gerrymandered district. You have no chance. Well, I almost won. I came with, it was one of the closest, if not the closest race in the country. I came with 0.37% before Jacob, or before Collins was convicted. So after that, suddenly a lot of people, including the Jacobs family, started to feel um, that maybe this is a race they wanted to take. And maybe little Nate McMurray <laughs> should step aside. So I started to feel a lot of pressure about um, not running again. 
And, you know, they brought people in to speak to me. They, you know, gave me memoranda and they were encouraging me to run for the state Senate seat. And I refused. And the Democratic state Senate seat in NY, in New York's 60th state Senate district, it was appealing. Let me, let me be honest. I, I would have loved to be in a state senator. I mean, but I had built this base in NY 27 and I wasn't going to betray that base or the people who wanted congressional representation. And I just told this family and I told the leadership of this company, I was not going to do that. And so, you know, it went from them encouraging me to run for this other seat to them being very hostile towards me being involved in politics at all. And I, I, it's a, it's just, I think the story is symbolic of what a lot of people are going through in America today, which is this corporate, we all have to pay for, you know, our families and our mortgages. And so some of these corporations think that we are disposable or that we're pawns and they can move around on a chessboard. And I refuse to be treated like that. Yeah. And it seems to me, I mean, this company, Delaware North, they've spent, what, $3.5 million lobbying Washington since 2011. And uh, it, it, it seems, uh, and maybe I'm off the mark here, but they wanted you out of this race because you came so close the last time. Well, they wanted their nephew who was the state senator whose seat they wanted me to take, to take the position. And the reason why, it's going to advance their, their political objectives. I mean, they're a company that they are as involved in lobbying and buying and selling influence as anybody. And the records speak for themselves. And that's just the records we know of. Uh, you know, they've hired people close to the, the Trump administration when Trump was elected. They played it both ways. And I think they, they wanted to have that power for themselves. I mean, having a congressional or having a congressman who is, uh, uh, you know, in their pocket and literally a member of their family, you know, that that's a that's a big deal. And I think they wanted that power. And there was a memo you got um, not on any letterhead or anything and encouraging you to run for for the state seat instead of the U.S. congressional seat. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, the memo was after a lot of, you know, there was a lot of meetings and just like, it's, you know, I started off with, let's go to coffee and talk about your future. And then it just progressed. And, you know, it's easy to, in, in I wish your listeners could understand in the moment, I'm not a rich man. And in the moment, it was not easy to, to put up the resistance or even to say no in the end. It was, in real time, it was not fun. But I, there was a memo that was given to me and some other materials that were given to me. But the biggest the biggest thing was there was a meeting set up for me to speak to Tom Reynolds. And Tom Reynolds, I, look, I have not been a politician my whole life. And when Tom Reynolds was a congressperson, I was overseas. Um, and Tom Reynolds is the one who gerrymandered NY27. He's responsible. He said, I want to have a seat that is so red in New York State that I can vote like a Southern Republican in New York State. And he got it. And that's the seat that Chris Collins served in and these other Chris Lee, you may remember all these criminals who, who've uh, taken advantage of the voters of Western New York. They were able to do that because the seat was so red, the seat that I almost flipped. So, you know, I was told Tom Reynolds has come to see me. I didn't really know who he was. And I sat down with someone I was told was a former congressman. Now, Tom Reynolds was part of the Mark Foley scandal, which involved um, some really terrible things that your listeners can look up. But I didn't know any of that at the time. And I sat down with this Tom Reynolds character, and he told me, I need you to run for the 60th seventh seat, and we'll help you do it. And, you know, I left the meeting. I immediately looked up who he was in more detail because I thought it was it left me shaken. And, you know, the amazing thing is he just admitted to the local newspaper that he did it. They're so shameless 
that they're willing to even admit that they're trying to exert this type of influence over the democratic process and try to force people into other seats. Um, and so, yeah, so there was a lot of pressure. And I think the most notable thing was the Tom Reynolds meeting, which, which, which was a start of a lot of other smaller and different types of meetings, but they definitely did not want me to run for this position that I'm running for right now. Yeah. So here's this huge corporation whose nephew they would like to have represent uh, your district, well, the New York 27th district in Congress, offering you this super sweet deal uh, and sending out uh, Reynolds, who gerrymandered the district, to try to convince you to do it. And then you're getting memos from from elsewhere. Uh, It just seems it seems so disingenuous. And so and it's I think it's just uh, indicative of the fact that the Republicans just want their seats at the expense of what the constituents need from their representation. Well, I think I think it's even worse. I think that the fact that I came so close in NY27 disrupted a lot of things in Western New York. It wasn't just about me beating the Republicans. I know that's an easy narrative for people, but look, gerrymandering doesn't, have a, doesn't happen on the scale that's happened in upstate New York without some Democratic help. And remember, for for there's a very safe seat in NY25, a very seat, very safe seat in NY26, and I'm not directly blaming the Congress people in those seats. But let's be honest, gerrymandering hurts everybody because the, none of these seats are competitive. And the fact that I made it competitive, or the the thousands and thousands of people that were working with me to make this so competitive, we're we're neck and neck again right now, is kind of a, a miracle. And they didn't want that miracle to be repeated. They wanted to get me out. Let me, let me just say about gerrymandering. Gerrymandering, if you're a Republican in NY27, the red seat, it hurts you because your vote means less. It's not your Republican vote means less here because there are so many Republicans in most instances than it would mean somewhere else if you were in another one of the more blue seats. And if you're a Democrat, it means less. Your vote means less because no matter, even if all the Democrats vote, which they basically have in past elections for me, it still may not make a difference because it's so imbalanced. So I really think the problem in America today, and, I, and I've said this since I first got into politics, and I said it when I refused to take the bait and do what they wanted me to do, is it's not about Democrat versus Republican. Sure, that matters, and I want Democrats to win. But in too many instances, it's about power versus no power. And we have to, If hopefully what happens, what we think is going to happen, hopefully I win and President Biden wins or Vice President Biden wins and becomes President Biden. I hope that we all put pressure on our elected officials to make it a more of a democratic process and really fight for the values that are not just Republican light values or not just a, a slightly more pal- palatable version of the things we've already seen, but for an America where everyone has a voice and everyone has a shot. And where regular people can actually run for office. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, gerrymandering disenfranchises all the voters in a district, uh, regardless of party. Like you said, it it cheapens the Republican vote by having so many Republicans, and it, it cheapens the Democratic vote by, you know, by limiting the number of Democrats in any given district, and vice versa in other, in other kinds of districts as well. And so until, I mean, and that's sort of your whole platform, right? Get money out of politics. Let's start with a fair base and have the people's voices heard and have everyone be able to vote. And, and that way we can elect representation that actually 
you know, is looking out for the people in their district. And so I, I thank you for talking about that, because I think it's such an important thing to note, especially when we've learned about, you know, in this census case that went to the Supreme Court about the gerrymandering from a, that gentleman named Hoffler, who worked tirelessly with the Republican Party in across the states and across the country to to use actual racial divides to gerrymander people out of their constitutional right to have their votes matter. Right. Well, listen, it's it's everywhere. The two, those two those two competing things, the, the power of corporations to undermine voters' rights. And also what we're getting now with the GOP is even more extreme. It's illiberalism. Like they don't care if something's popular. They don't care if they're in the minority view on something because they're going to set up a system of gerrymandering or packing the courts or whatever else to defy the will of the people. And that comes, you hear this phrase more and more, I hear it every day now, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. And what they're saying is, we don't care what the majority thinks. We're going to use every type of mean we can, every type of trick, every type of procedure we can to override the will of the majority of the people. And that's what you see in NY27, that's what you see in Washington. And I, you know, again, I do think we're going to have a great election results coming up in a couple of weeks. But we cannot squander that opportunity. We need to change the system to bring back true representation, to bring back um, an America where regular people have a voice and it matters. Yeah. And, and you're so right. And that's evident in Republicans' efforts, just for one example, to take health care away uh, from people, uh, to override the will of the people uh, by, by doing that in order to put money in the pockets of private health insurance industry and CEOs who have been lobbying for billions of dollars for decades to, to make sure that that stays in place. And it's 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 disheartening. And so I want to thank you for sticking to your principles and continuing to run for U.S. Congress in the 27th District in New York and uh, and just standing up for what you feel is the right thing to do, even though it is the hard thing to do. Can I say one more thing about it? There's one last thing. A hundred percent. Listen, I, there's a lot of days over the last few years, and this has been going on for two years and trying to talk me out of it and pressure me out of it and just, just kind of embarrass me and humiliate me out of it for two years. And there's a lot of mornings I got up and I looked at my family and I said, I don't know if I did the right thing. I'm not sure, but I, I am, my spirit is higher than ever. Number one, I got to fight for what I believe in and not what other people believe in. I got to fight for what I believe in, not what, uh, not what some party or some party boss or some corporation told me to say. And that is more rewarding than anything in my life. And I got to be around thousands and thousands of other people who share the same values and were willing to fight for me. And they knew what I was going through. So I tell everybody out there, look, at we, we can't control everything in life, but we can control our decisions. And even though this was a difficult decision for me and my family, I am very grateful that I, whether because of luck or, you know, courage or fate or whatever else, I had the uh, wherewithal at the time in the moment to say, listen, I don't care what you say. I'm going to vote. I'm going to run for NY27. Well, I know I myself personally and a lot of our listeners really support that because, you know, we have our listeners write in with their good news stories. And so many uh, that I know for for integrity purposes have stopped working for one job to take another job, even if it's a pay cut, but they want to just be doing the right thing. And, and be a servant leader. And I'm so glad that you're doing this. And I know my listeners are uh, support you on this. So can you tell uh, my listeners where they can support your campaign, contribute, volunteer? Where can they go for more information? I know you've already been on, but I just want to remind them. Sure. It's votemcmurray.com. 
M-C-M-U-R-R-A-Y. And look, at we're, we've been grassroots from the start. If you see our rallies that we've had before COVID and even our post-COVID outdoor rallies and you see the type of support we have, no corporate money, totally grassroots, tons of union backing. Uh, that's who we are. And I think we're going to win the right way. And I'm proud of that. Well, we're proud of you, too. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Everybody, a Democratic candidate for New York's 27th district, Nathan McMurray. I appreciate you coming on and telling us this story today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the interview. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Plush Care. Now more than ever, you should not put off seeing a doctor, especially if you're not feeling well. And I know that with everything that's going on, it can be difficult to put your health first. It's a very stressful time, and that's why I use Plush Care. Plush Care provides primary and urgent health care through virtual appointments. Scheduling an appointment, even for the same day, is super easy. You just pick a slot that works for you, a couple of clicks, and bam, you're scheduled just right online. So you don't have to waste time on phone, on the phone, on hold, or sitting in a crowded waiting room. And with Plush Care and with my membership, I can see my doctor from the comfort of my own home. And with Plush Care, I get diagnosed, treated, and can get a prescription sent to my local pharmacy if needed, all within minutes. And if I have any questions before or after, I can send unlimited messages to my care team anytime. And Plush Care accepts most major insurance carriers, and it's available in all 50 states. And with how difficult things are, if you're feeling anxious or depressed or stressed about what's going on in the world, you're losing sleep, Plush Care doctors are here to help. They can discuss treatment options and provide prescriptions as needed. I can tell you personally, my Plush Care experience has been super easy. It's a breeze. Signing up, was the it's so user-friendly. It only takes a minute. And it's just as easy to schedule an appointment. The entire process has been super convenient. And I was immediately comfortable with my doctor because all Plush Care doctors graduated from one of the top 50 medical schools in the country, and they're all highly rated by their patients. So I get peace of mind. I know that I'm getting the highest quality health care. Plush Care makes it easy for me to get the excellent care I need when I need it. With Plush Care, I don't put off seeing a doctor, and neither should you. No more excuses, so make your appointment today. Go to plushcare.com slash dailybeans. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash dailybeans. Again, plushcare.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. Joining me today is the writer, producer, and creator of the short film called How America Killed My Mother. It features his cousin, roast master Jeffrey Ross, Trey Crowder and Drew Morgan, Senator Chris Murphy, who I love. We all love him. Governor Gary Johnson. Everyone, please welcome Ed Larson to the show. Ed, how are you? Good. How you doing, Allison? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. You know, we run in the same circles. Or, you know, I used to run in. We all used to run in those circles. They're kind of they're kind of on lockdown now, but um, it's really great to talk to you. Uh, it's it's so interesting that you're Jeffrey Ross's cousin, and you used to write for Roast Battle. Is that is that right? That's right. I wrote for Roast Battle, a bunch of the uh, Comedy Central roasts. Uh, I've written for Historical Roast, uh, Bumping Mics, all that stuff. Mm. Now you you took on this project here um, uh, in July, I believe, of 2016. Your mother passed away in her sleep due to complications with diabetes, um, yes. some, something that did not have to happen. And so you recruited your friend. Mm-hmm. Travis Irvine. Yep. And uh, put together, made this movie. And, and you say it's not so much a dark comedy as it is a light tragedy. And you talk about how we all grieve differently. And I was hoping you could get into what this movie is about and why you made it. It's about 40 minutes long, right? It's a short film. Yeah. It's a short doc. It's a short doc. I was, uh, I was trying to figure out what I should make it. And I was like, nobody wants to watch this for more than 40 minutes. It's, it's just so, it's so bleak and upsetting at times, you know, but I, I try to keep it light as much as I can. The thing is when my mom passed away, 
it was sudden, but I knew, but I kind of felt it coming, you know, because we were so broke at the time and we could, we couldn't make ends meet. And she was a type one diabetic. And, you know, it was just, it was struggling on top of struggles. And then to try to pay for her bills, she developed a gambling problem and it just, it's everything spiraled out of control. And it, I just remember thinking that if we had just a little bit more money, she'd be alive. And I, and I was so mad about it. And a couple of weeks go by and my mom died. Uh, that week was roast battle up in Montreal uh, comedy festival. We were filming it for television and that, and I had to go, go, go work on it. And so obviously I was late getting up there because I had to bury my mom, but it was just like, I, I had this realization when I was up there, if I want to take revenge, I use my power. I'm, you know, I'm not going to, the, you know, violence is illegal, you know, so uh, you, you do what you can. And I've, I've made these socially conscious documentaries with uh, with Jeff in the past, you know, roasting criminals and cops and immigrants and stuff. And I was like, well, I've developed this skill. Let me take the life insurance money and kind of tell everyone in a lighthearted way, you know, all the ways my mom was screwed over. And, and I, I looked at it and I started breaking it down, you know, everywhere you look. Uh, from the banks to, you know, insurance companies to the, just the cost of being a diabetic for insulin and uh, her work, how little money she was making at work, the hours she had to work, and then her inevitable gambling problem and the way the casinos prey on weak people and the way they, they don't, you know, they don't want you to, you know, be successful. And my mom had this problem where basically she was a type one diabetic, a brittle diabetic. And her sugar, her blood sugars would drop. And every time your sugar drops below a certain amount, you get brain damage. Not too much, but a little bit of brain damage. But over the course of 36 years, it really takes its toll on you. And, right. you know, so like the last year of her life, the last two years of her life, she'd be very forgetful if, you know, she got a little too happy or a little too upset. You know, her sugars would get out of whack and it was a mess. And, and so we, she had this blood sugar monitor, not like a glucose pump, but like just a monitor that was hooked up onto her body for the last couple of years of her life. And if her sugars got too high or too low, the monitor would beep and she would know to like eat some glucose or something like that. And when her job switched life, uh, when her job switched health insurances, when, and she had to get on Medicaid. They uh they told her she wanted to keep the machine. They had to we had to send her uh send them eight hundred dollars. And back then eight hundred dollars might as well have been five grand to us. You know, it just that 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 money. I'm a I'm a comic and a cook in New York City. You know, I'm not making any money at this point in my life. And so we sent the machine back, and uh and that's how she died. She died in her sleep because the machine didn't wake her up. And I can't help but like, just like, and then I was like, all right, so that's a definite link. And then I look at, well, how did we get so broke? And then I look and I look at her bank account statements and the whole thing's overdraft fees. And you're just like, what are these people doing to us? You know, why are we taking so much money from the poorest people in this country when they're struggling at their worst moments? We're just, just hitting them with fines, fine after fine after fine. And I, I look it up and I find out in two, 2017, 
uh, banks in America made $34 billion off of overdraft fees. And that's like, that, that's $34 billion off of the poorest people in this country. And I was like, what the fuck are they doing? Sorry if I'm sorry for cursing. You're a classy you know, show here. And, no, uh, we're not a, we're not a classy <laughs> show. We are, our slogan is literally news with swearing. Uh, okay, so great, great, great. You're totally, uh, you're totally thank you. fine. I was, I was worried. <laughs> but it, but it seems like, um, this is connected, right? This greed, this capitalism, where the bottom line of the bank and the bottom line of the casinos and the bottom line of the health, private healthcare industry are all victimizing so many Americans. Yeah. My mom had this bad, really bad habit that crippled both of us because I would always have to cover for her because I'm an only child and my parents are divorced. And so uh, was at the casinos where she would write a check, hope she would win out of desperation. And she would inevitably lose and they would, and then she'd go write another check, even though she didn't have the money in her account. And she got to a point where she had bounced four or five checks over at Trump Taj Mahal. And they didn't, they knew she was bouncing checks, but they kept taking them. Mm. And, and so, and, and then they had a system over there where I don't know if you've ever been poor before, but if you bounce a check, they can, they can send it to the bank three times. So it means the check can bounce three times. And every time the check bounces, you get fined by the bank and the person you gave the bad check to. So, and then the, the Trump Taj Mahal figured out how to, how to submit them six times because they were, they were submitting them three times as electronical and then three times as a paper check. And so they were hitting her with three or four bad checks with six fees that $25, $35 a pop. I mean, it's just a huge number. And I, I was just like, what? This is predatory. My mom passed out in the casino because she got so emotional. She started crying at the table and passed out and had to take her away in an ambulance. And this is how they did business over there. And, you know, and so it, it drove me insane. It's like, that is just wrong. Like, I understand you want to gamble, blow off some steam, have a good time. Sure. You know, it's the same as drinking. If you can handle it, good for you. But it's not for everybody. And there is no way to stop a person who shouldn't be there. You know, they can, they can sign a waiver, but who's going to do that? You know, and so it, it, it drives me crazy just to watch the predatory behavior. And then when I go to confront these, the casino to pay my mom's bills for her after she had died, they won't take my money because I have to electronically send the money to Vegas where instead of giving them the money where they gave her the money, the only way you can, Give them money as if you put it on a table and bet on something, you know, so it's it's set up for you to fail. I mean, obviously, why would a casino ex even exist as a business model if they weren't trying to rip us all off? You know, it doesn't it wouldn't make any sense, you know, for them to, for the even to open the doors, you know, but I, I just like stacked on top of stuff on stuff on stuff. And then I find the only people that will give her a credit card, which is horrible credit at this point, is a Boscov's. And a in a what's the Coles? I think it's called. In the, in the and they, she had a seven hundred dollar limit. She couldn't get an Exxon card to pay for her gas, or you know, or something, or you know, Shell card. But she the, the, she had all these you know department stores because she liked to buy gifts because she didn't want to seem poor because she was embarrassed. And it's just everything about society. I understand that she did things wrong, and she you know, didn't help herself in this hole, but everyone was there trying to take it from her with the loan right. companies, check cashing stores, 
you know, she had to have like three bank accounts at once because two would have over would be overdrawn. And so she wanted to be able to pay her rent. She had to give her check to a different bank so she could pay her rent with that check. And then take some, she was robbing Peter to pay Paul all over town. And it was just, it was inevitable that she would pass that she would pass away like this. Yeah. And if we had if we had a, a healthcare system worth of shit or prevailing wages, it the the gambling might not have even happened, you know? And um of course and, not. or she would be able to get help with it. Uh but you know, yeah, here we are. Yeah. And the the thing is with the I, I made her go to start going to uh Gamblers Anonymous, but there was only one meeting once a week where she lived because it's not a fancy, it's not alcohol or drugs. And so there's not as many meetings because it's not as popular, but it's, you know, still a thing that exists. And, you know, at the meeting she was at, there was like two like former Jersey gangsters trying to shake her down for money, you know, seeing it, seeing if she was lucky or not, or trying to go to Atlantic city with her. It was, it was no matter where she turned, it was predatory and it just, and it, and it broke me. It really did. And I didn't know what to do. And so here we are. <laughs> yeah. And, and what is even more mind boggling is that they won't give her a credit card with uh, an interest rate to pay, but they will cash her checks over and over again and charge her and hit her six times a piece for that, which is just basically giving her a loan with a really high interest rate. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you think about it. Absolutely. No. And then, I go to the bank afterwards. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, go and ahead. I go to TD Bank, where is where her main account was with the most overdraft fees. And after she passed away, I went and confronted them. I was like, hey, you know, what's the deal with all these overdraft fees? You know, it's kind of a lot. You know, it's a little, you know, how do you expect people to get out of this? And she's like, well, if she should, if she came to us earlier, we could have eliminated some of them. And I was, and I was like, no, was like, she did. I was on the <laughs> phone with her. She was crying in your lobby. I was I was on the phone. Like, don't tell me she didn't come in here and try to fix this and plead for help because she did. And someone, it might not have been the woman I was talking to, but someone in there looked at this like crying old woman and told her to go fuck herself. And then and then she dies. And and it I couldn't believe it. And then the woman's like, well, maybe we can refund some of these overdraft fees now. And I'm like, she's dead. There's no estate. This isn't, you're just giving yourself back money. This isn't, or you're not, you're not fixing the situation. You know, like you just like. Oh, they probably come after you for it. Well, they can't because there was no estate. And the only Ah. way they can come after you for it is if it's in the estate, they can come after the estate. They can't come after life insurance, which is also untaxable, no matter what anyone tells you. Um, But they, they come, they, if they come after it, you can you can just look them in the eye and tell them to go fuck themselves. And you're like, she's dead. There was no estate, and they want proof. You know, everyone wants you to fax the death certificate. Everyone wants like a copy of a death certificate. And you know what? I didn't give it to half of them because I didn't care. I was like, you know what? You were robbing my mom blind. You can, you can come find it or just not close this because I don't need to close it. And me like getting multiple copies of a death certificate is, you know, damaging to my mental health. And so I'm not going to do that favor for your random business. Plus, you probably have to pay for that, too. So Yes! Yeah, they're like a couple bucks a pop. You know, so it's, I just, I was so furious at everybody 
just down the line. And then, you know, when you do research and you start looking at it, my mom's story is not unique. This happens to everybody all over the country. Hundreds, maybe thousands of times a day. I don't know. You know how much it costs to be a diabetic a year? $16,000. On average, it costs $16,000 a year. My mom was making 32. That don't add up. Just straight up doesn't add up. And so what what are people supposed to do? And the, and the, the drug companies, they don't give a shit. They've raged. The average price of insulin tripled from 2002 to 2013 and then doubled again from 2012 to 2016. The same exact product. The product did not change. But the price went through the roof. Yeah, and we know that these we know these pharma CEOs um, raise the price to reach a certain threshold of revenue for the for the pharmaceutical company, so that they themselves can then get bumped up into bonus bonus land for their you know for their compensation. I mean, we just saw it on the hill where, where Katie Porter uh, had a pharmaceutical oh, CEO on. And said, uh, all right, so 13 million, you raised the price by a thousand percent. That bumped you up into your bonus land, which you personally made by tripling the cost of a drug. You personally got about five million dollars, I think, if the if the figures are correct. And and he was just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he's like, well, when revenues increase, the CEO gets paid more. It's like, yeah, fuck you. We know what you're doing. Um, let me ask you about about comedy and coping because you know you you say here we all grieve differently and you know i myself am a trauma survivor i have ptsd um as a disabled veteran spent 10 years doing comedy some might argue i'm still doing it some might argue i'm not uh, <laughs> as a personal <laughs> preference um but um i just spoke with tim robbins yesterday who just created a new series called Babo Supreme, which is a a comedy cinematic podcast five part series with like Patton Oswalt and Jack Black and Thomas Lennon about our body politics, like currently what's going on in politics. And it's hilarious and terrifying. Um you you'll probably remember uh, as a comic when Tignataro did her famous um stand up about when she was diagnosed yeah uh, and and so that's sort of what comedians do we take this trauma we take this tragedy we spin it into comedy and we do it to get the word out and to also make it palatable for the masses to consume and become aware of what it is we're trying to tell them right and so i w- i want you to talk a little bit about uh how this is a light tragedy more than a dark comedy and how it's, has it helped you? It has helped. And it was, we edited this during quarantine. So for a large portion of quarantine, it did not help. And I was, you know, going from my friends flipping out to trying to edit this movie about my deceased mother. And, you know, so that wasn't good for me mentally, but now that it's out, I I feel such a relief. Uh, I'm so in the response I'm getting, uh, from people is overwhelming. Uh, just all everyone, this happens to people constantly all the time, multiple people in pe- other people's families. Uh, I'm getting messages all the time, thanking me for this. And it's, it's the only weapon that I feel like I have, you know, as, as someone who's made these kind of documentaries before, uh, you know, I, John Stewart once, uh, once told me, 
when we were talking like in a big room of people, uh, you follow the discomfort, you know, just like if it hurts, you're doing something right. And you, you just go for it and you follow it and you just drill and just drill it home because there's something important in there and you got to dig it out. And I feel like that's what this movie's kind of all about is not like making light of the death of my mother, but telling the story about what happened to her and how to stop it in a way that's palatable, palpable for a normal person to listen to and watch. Yeah. Well, I, w- I would definitely love for everybody to, to see it. And I was hoping you could tell everyone, um, first of all, where they can view it and then how they can support you. Um, you go to, uh, how America killed my You can watch the movie there. It's, uh, it's streaming on Vimeo. Uh, it is, you can buy or rent it. Uh, it'll be available for a limited time. We pushed it out. So it'd be out before the election. Cause I really just want as many people to see this as possible before the election. And so we released it on Vimeo and, um, you can follow me. I'm on, uh, Twitter and Instagram at Eddie tunes. Uh, I'm, my name is Ed Larson. I have a podcast called the brighter side with Amber Nelson which is a cynics look at optimism where we try to take all the shitty things in the world and uh, try and find the fun in them. And uh, that's, I think that kind of also triggered me like doing that work for so many years, like triggered me. It's like, all right, I got to make some, I got to do something good about, you know, this horrible situation. And so, and so that's another reason why, you know, I was, I felt compelled to make the movie because it's definitely on brand for, (laughs) <laughs> I, I love it too. Cynical optimism. That just sort of defines the New York comedian to me because, you know, I'm LA side. And I remember when I first came out to New York to do comedy, it was in 2012 for, I think, Laughing Devil. Mm-hmm. And I land there and I walk around. I'm, I spent I'm like the first 24 hours. It dawns on me that, that New York is Los Angeles for adults. And I just had such an incredible time there. And the comedy is so different. And it is, it's this cynical optimism. It's this darkness. It's this, uh, yeah, we fucking live here. Kind of yeah. kind of a thing. And uh, I, I I loved it and I appreciated it. We went back for, for the Webbies and um, got to go to the Grizzly Pear and to the Cellar. And it's just, awesome. it's an incredible, incredible place for comedy. And uh, I appreciate you coming on, telling me about this movie. Uh, I hope everybody watches it. Again, it's HowAmericaKilledMyMother.com and you can follow him at Eddie Tunes on Twitter. I highly recommend it. Ed Larson, thanks for speaking with me today. Thanks for talking to me, Allison. If we don't laugh, we cry. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I've said it a million times and, and, and we also cry if we don't vote. So everybody vote. <laughs> Please, just vote. I just, just go and just stand there even. Just support people. <laughs> <laughs> bring him pizza i feel like i want to like walk up and down with pizzas and and be like pizza gate pizzas Come get them. Uh, feed my voters all right well thank you again we'll talk soon all right bye allison mm-hmm, bye-bye everybody stick around we've got the good news coming up after this stay with us hey everybody it's aj have you ever thought about your cellular health no yeah well me neither i mean why would we Because cells are the foundation of our health, and they make us who we are, that's why. And one of the important building blocks in our cells is called NAD, which is vital for things like sleeping, breathing, eating, drinking, you know, some of the most important stuff we do that we don't necessarily think about either. The bad news is, as we age, our bodies don't make NAD like they used to. But here's the good news. There's a way to boost your NAD levels thanks to true niogen. 
True Niagen helps counteract the effects of time on your body by promoting cellular repair. It also helps with healthy aging by supporting cellular function and metabolism to maintain overall health and well-being. True Niagen can also help you increase your cellular energy. It replenishes the decline in NAD due to stressors such as lack of sleep or overeating, so you can keep up with your active lifestyle. Taking True Niagen also helps with cellular defense in the face of stresses such as alcohol consumption or immune stress, which is a form of cellular stress. True Niagen has caught the attention of the scientific community with its remarkable ability to boost NAD, and they have over 10 clinical studies to prove it. Give your cells a boost with True Niagen. And right now, new customers can save $20 on a three-month supply by going to trueniagen.com slash dailybeans. That's T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N dot com slash dailybeans to save $20 on a three-month supply. trueniagen.com slash dailybeans. The statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure, or prevent, or any disease. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news. It's on the way. I am so happy to get to the good news. You all deserve some good news today. Today was a lot in in the, in the news realm, uh, especially if you sat through that hearing. Ugh. Um I was listening to it. I was waiting for um, Senator Harris to come up with her questioning, which or her opening statement, which was incredible. But I, I, I didn't want to miss it. So I had to sit through Crapo, who I call Crap Hole, and and then uh, and then right after that, I believe right after that, Kennedy came on, and I like I scrambled to turn off the thing. I just don't even like to hear that guy talk. Uh, but I did find out some of the things that he said afterwards. It was ridiculous. Um, how how sad and hard it is to be white. Uh, it's just mind blowing. Um, now the good news, and and if you have good news, personal or political, you can send it into us at dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. I'm excited for today. Uh, the first good news story we have comes from, and I'm oh, I'm so excited. This is from Coffee Crush Adam from Seattle. Okay, we're following the saga. We need like we need theme music for the coffee crush. Adam from Seattle. What would you hear at a at a at a Starbucks in Seattle? I'm thinking something from the Reality Bites soundtrack. Maybe we could put a little, I don't know, uh, Better Man uh, behind here, like a little Pearl Jam or something, Soundgarden, something like that. We'll think about it. We'll think about it. Um, anyway, from Coffee Crush Adam in Seattle. Uh, anonymous from PA's good news about their changed about their changed birthday sparked a funny memory. In 2012, I was watching the election results roll in and suddenly realized I'd missed my dad's birthday. I texted him my apologies. Yes, Obama, our candidate, had won his second term, but my dad raised a moron. <laughs> it was then uh, at 23 I realized that election day, the first Tuesday after the Monday of the month, was like Easter. A moving holiday, and my dad's birthday was more like Christmas, a fixed point on the calendar. At some early age, my dad's birthday and election day must have occurred on the same day, and that burned itself into my brain. My dad assured me it was fine as long as I voted. Now every year, he gets a call on his actual birthday and election day. (laughs) He was so distraught in 2016, called me on the verge of tears, and offered uh, to get me a gun and a concealed arms permit. Ugh. I'm really blessed to have born, been born to liberal parents that remarried to other liberals. Having four strong, angry, loud anti-fascists behind me helps so much on days when I feel more like a lost kid than a 31-year-old man. I promise to write more long creative swears soon. Take care. P.S. Podcat photo attached. Yes. Oh, it's a tuxie. Look at that. It's like a Bruce Willis. 
in the box. Very good. So your cat has been shipped to you properly. I'm excited. We'll share these pictures uh, on the, in the newsletter. It goes out every Monday. You'll find it in your patron feed. Next up, from anonymous, pronouns she and her. Beans on AG going to law school. How do I know? Here's how it goes for an older student aching for her next career as an attorney. One, you take the PLSAT to see if you're smart enough to find out if you're on your way uh, smarter uh, than if you're on your way smarter than you thought you were. Two, you take the LSAT to see if you're smart enough to find out if you're way smarter than you thought you were. Three, against all conventional wisdom that you will never get admitted to your local law schools, so be prepared to move. You apply to both local schools and get admitted to both. Uh, you, you, four, you go to a world-class law school and graduate in the top 25% of your class against all those young whippersnappers. The best you can do as a single working mother of three boys. And at five, stage five, at age 40, you're a lawyer. And number six, at an appropriate age, you retire from a satisfying career. That's how it works, AG. So congratulations in advance. <laughs> Minus the three boys. Uh, I appreciate this. I'm including a photo of our angel puppy, Tina, who died six years ago at the age of six from cancer. Aww. As you can see from the photo, the rays of dog heaven are upon her. And so she is indeed an angel. Oh, look, the crepuscular rays coming through the clouds on the doggo. <gasps> she looks like a German shepherd, but kind of has a golden retriever coat. Oh, what a beautiful puppy. Hmm. That yard, that reminds me of, I wonder where you're from, Anonymous, because this looks like the backyard of my childhood home out in the Midwest. We had those railroad ties, uh, planters as well, just like the one here. So I'm really interested as to where you live. Right back. Let us know. Next up from Taco, she, her, uh, or that B-I-T-C-H, being in total control of herself. Love it. Quarantine confession, good news, perhaps it's naughty, but I don't need forgiveness. I'm pretty sure RBG has ruled in heaven that this is not a sin. I am currently using my overnight security shift to write letters to voters in Texas, encouraging them to vote. Between camera monitoring, monitoring and alarm acknowledgement, my political agenda of securing our rights is being made. Thank you for your amazing podcast. A dear friend of mine introduced me to you in March. And you have been a big help in keeping me sane as I, as I possibly can be right now. My therapist also helps. Your podcast makes me feel like I'm not crazy every episode. And it also makes me feel okay for all of the motherfucking goddamn swearing I've been doing since shitstorm, this, since shitstorm November of 2016. So much love to you, quarantine hugs. Thank you, Taco. She, her, B-I-T-C-H. I love it. I love what you're doing. Uh, keep it up. <laughs> Next up, from Lee, pronouns she and her, I take the dogs, Pepe and Little Bear, oh, I love it, Pepe and Little Bear, for a three-mile walk every day around our neighborhood in Phoenix, and we have witnessed a major increase in Biden-Harris signs versus Trump signs, currently seven to one, respectively. Uh, put it together in this email in a small sampling below. Here we go. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. This is a photo. This is a series of photos of Biden-Harris signs in Phoenix, which I I lived there for many, many years. I went to ASU, Northern Arizona University, Xavier College Prep. Like, that's my stomping ground. That's where I went to high school. That's where I went to all the goth clubs when I was a kid. And there are dogs, these two dogs, Pepe and, what was the other? Pepe and, doo-doo-doo, Little Bear. And they're parked in front of every single Biden and Harris sign. One, two, <laughs> three. Oh, my God. Four. Oh, my God. These are so great. That looks like Olive, too. The German Shepherd looking one. 
so awesome. Again, we'll include these photos. Keep sending them. Any of your dogs with Biden-Harris signs. I love it. I actually have a Twitter thread going on right now at Mueller, she wrote, uh, where I've asked everybody to uh, post their doggos for Biden. So... Next up, from anonymous pronouns, she and her. Great news. My grandson came home from the hospital today. He was born 30 weeks uh, at 30 weeks gestation and has spent the last seven weeks in special care units. Due to COVID-19, only his parents have been able to visit. I hope I get to hold him tomorrow. Oh, congratulations. Oh, that's so wonderful. That's the second, I think, preemie we've, uh, news we've had um, coming out of the NICU and going home. This is so wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Next up from Tim, pronouns he and him. I have spent, uh, wait, I have six episodes of my podcast. You inspired me. The good news is that I looked at the reviews on Apple and I have received two good reviews. It's not much, but it makes me happy to have started this adventure. Thank you for being an inspiration. Political Mindscape will grow and someday I may even get to talk to you fabulous women. I'm also including a pic of my dog. <laughs> the pot dog. I love that you guys send pictures. Oh, is that? He looks familiar. Did you did you respond to the thread? Is it Gus? You didn't put the name. Anyway, congratulations. Um, the good reviews really help. They really do. And I remember when we first launched from the kitchen in the kitchen days, and Muller she wrote, and we got our first review, and we were so excited. And that week we got eighty downloads, and we were over the moon because most podcasts that comedians start get like five to 10 downloads a week. Before we knew it, we had a million a month, but that took a while. And we, to be fair, we were the only Mueller podcast really on the market. So first to market and we were women and we're doing it from our kitchens and we were comics and we said, fuck a lot. I mean, it worked out. So thank you. And if any of you have a minute, it would be really awesome if you could go find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, The Daily Beans, and give us a good review. So the, the bad reviews are fun. I'm going to read some of the bad reviews. They're, they're fun to read, but um, that would help out a lot. The, the reviews do really help. Uh, next up from Caitlin, she and her. Hello, fellow Beanie Babies. I have a confession to make. Every night I come home and turn on CNN and see what the stage of the shit show we're at for the current day. By the time I get home around 5 p.m., it's usually the Situation Room with Wolf. Here's my confession. I'm not sure if it's the fine silver hair, tailored suits, or blunt attitude, but I have developed a crush on Mr. Blitzer. Yes, he is 72 and I'm 33, but that shouldn't matter, right? He doesn't know it. <laughs> but I've even given him the pet name Wolfie. It's gone as far as my mom asking me, what's Wolfie think about this? Or is Wolfie on today? I just laugh because secretly inside I'm saying he better be on tonight. It's the only thing keeping me sane. Also, I attach my two sweet girls. The first photo is Binks, a calico mix, a.k.a. the spawn of Satan, and Peanut, who was a runt. Now is a fine 29-pound tabby cat. 29 is good, dude. Boobs, the giant podcat is only like 23 pounds now. She says, I love the show. I listen every morning on my way in. I'll send my wedding invite once Wolfie gets rid of the current wife. <laughs> I'm kidding, she says. Oh, there's Binksy. And look at that chonk with the tiny. Okay, so the tabby, the chonk tabby, 29-pound tabby, got the front paws curled, you know, like laying on the side and the front paws curled like begging, you know, the begging position. Oh, my gosh. This is so adorable. Thank you for the podcasts. I appreciate it. Oh, Nip Nops. Oh, dirty. Lewd. Lewd chonker. Anyway, 
Thank you all for sending in your good news stories. And thank you for attaching random pet pictures. You should just always do that. Whether you're sending a correction, whether your good news has to do anything, has anything to do with pets or not. Uh, and also, if you have a confession, just attach just attach those. I appreciate it. Uh, it really makes my day. And I know when we send them out on the newsletter, we get newsletter. We get such positive feedback from everybody thanking us for including the pod pets. They're such a huge part of our lives. That's why we have to elect a president and put dogs in the White House again. Champ and major. We must. Um, anyway, that's it for today. We will uh, be back tomorrow. Uh, and... Is there anything else I need to tell you about? Just send in your Mary Trump questions, patrons. Do it. And if you want to be a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash dailybeanspod, I believe, or the Daily Beans, or patreon.com slash wrote. You can find us. Search any of our shows there. And, uh, and if you can't afford to be a patron, but you want to be, or if you want to donate a one-year membership for just 36 bucks to somebody in need, uh, you can do that at dailybeanspod.com and scroll down on the front page and you'll see it right there. Patrons helping patrons. We've had hundreds and hundreds of memberships donated. It's truly, truly incredible. So thank you for that. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and so does everyone who's been getting them. Uh, if you want to thank people for for uh, gifting you a membership, you can do that also by contacting us on the website too. We're happy to read that out, give you a shout out. All right. Thanks very much. Till tomorrow, everyone. Please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been A.G. and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.